Welcome to MAP, the bi-weekly market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. Mars makes it as easy as possible for you to get your pharmaceutical, medtech or digital health product to the market and of course get the price it deserves. My name is Stefan Walzer, I'm the founder of Mars and a health economist by training and working in the fields of market access, reimbursement, pricing and health economics already since 2004. Additionally, I founded the consultancy P&N Pricing and Negotiations in Healthcare based in Toronto, Canada, which supports companies and individuals globally by coaching, simulations and training, especially on negotiations. This service is including our innovative virtual reality simulation program and is part of the Negotiation Lab. And now let's learn about the market access and reimbursement systems around the globe. Okay, let's start again with another episode on the Market Access Podcast, this time with another interesting country with respect to health technology assessment and payer requirements. This time it will, it will be Japan. And for that, I'm happy to welcome Heather Wellam. Hi, Stefan. Thank you for having me today. Thank you. Very good. So Japan is obviously, at least what I know from, let's say, the European or uh, U.S. Canadian experience, a, a, a bit, let's say, more complex, I would say, maybe also a bit more complicated. I'm not exactly sure, having had uh, not a lot of experience with Japanese submissions. So, and please just introduce yourself, obviously. But after that, Maybe you can very briefly then also explain how generally reimbursement works in Japan. Sure. So my name is Heather Wellam and I'm a senior consultant with a company called MTech Access. We're a, a global market access and health economic and outcomes research consultancy. Um, and I've been with them for a couple of years, but I've, I've worked in the area for about eight or nine years now. So you're right, um, Stefan, Japan is, is an interesting market. So I'll just briefly run through some of the kind of key actors, key players in the market. So starting off with the regulator in Japan, the Pharmaceutical and Medical Devices Agency, they assess the efficacy and the safety of any new products or devices and issue marketing authorization. And Japan has a universal healthcare scheme. So if a drug is going to be covered under that national scheme, then it needs to be listed on something called the drug price standard. And what that is, is a positive reimbursement list. So it has all of the publicly funded um, drugs on there and their maximum reimbursed price. And there's a government agency who's responsible for deciding which drugs go on that list and the price. They're called the Central Social Insurance Medical Council in English, or CHUIQ is their Japanese name. And once they set a price, um, the drug is then on the drug price standard and it can be used by a hospital or, or a pharmacy and they can then make a claim back at that price. And for some drugs, that's the, I suppose, um, last hurdle to getting a launch price set. But for a subset of drugs, there's another step, another hurdle, and that's a cost effectiveness analysis. And so for those few that get selected by QQ, they need to submit a cost effectiveness analysis to another agency, which is called the Center for Outcomes Research and Economic Evaluation for Health, which is abbreviated to C2H often. 
bit easier to say as well and, and they coordinate that process and there could for those subset of drugs then be another price adjustment okay got you i think uh it, it doesn't sound that unfamiliar right with uh having obviously in mind a couple of other different uh, let's say uh, hda or reimbursement systems in mind but i mean you, you said i think an important uh point and i think to remember that also in france we have something similar right that not, not all products will need to go uh, through a full um, health economic assessment. And uh, obviously, it's also Im always important to know the requirements. So what are the requirements in order to, let's say, be able then to submit a full cost effectiveness analysis to the Japanese authorities? Yeah, so so you're right. I think for for France, there's a, a threshold for annual sales, isn't there? And, and products yeah. over that will be required to and submit a cost effectiveness analysis and it's it's similar in in japan so the selection for assessment is based principally on the predicted annual sales or actual sales so a drug that's already been launched could be called up for an assessment as well as new products and um, so in other words high cost drugs or those with high sales are the ones that might be selected for for an additional assessment by the committee Okay, so so th thanks for those kind of insights. Um, and if a company has submitted then their cost effectiveness case to the authorities, do you know if if, if there is already any kind of cost effectiveness threshold already accepted or implemented in Japan in order to accept then different health economic outcomes, or is that still let's say in the development? So what's interesting about Japan is they have a series of thresholds for cost effectiveness. So there are four or five different thresholds that they've set, and each of those is connected to a repricing rate. So it's based on the, the cost per quality um, in Japanese yen, and there are several thresholds. And for each, then an increasing level of discount could be applied. Um, so, for example, at the very top end of that scheme, if a drug had a, a threshold of over 10 million yen, then there would be the potential then for a 50% discount to be applied on the operating profit and then a almost 90% discount on the level of innovation premium, which is, is quite high levels of discount or the potential for with, with this tiered threshold scheme that they have, which is a little bit different, I think, than, than other markets. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, I mean, <laughs> we all know, I think, uh, especially maybe the kind of threshold in the UK or also in Canada. Um, I think the Dutch are maybe a bit more flexible, at least in general, I would say. But um, I mean, directly linking it to, to um, different discounts is obviously quite interesting. Um, also here, maybe then the question, again, back to, let's say, comparing it a bit to the UK system. Is the whole kind of system then also... Oh, let's say the process rather, is that also then very transparent or is that just between the company and the authority? And just at the end, that will be maybe a transparent decision. So the, the methodology for the submission is clearly published online. There's, there's guidance for manufacturers who are to submit. And then the, the outcome of the the negotiation or the submission is also published online after it's completed. So in that sense, there's there's transparency around the the submission itself. So all that information is published firstly in Japanese and then it's translated also into English as well um, after a period of time. So there's yeah, it's quite a transparent process. 
Okay, interesting. Okay. Um, maybe still going one step back from the cost effectiveness. We have just spoken a bit about it, but obviously the first part of a cost effectiveness is obviously the clinical component. Um, you have just very briefly mentioned that also that kind of stepwise approach. Um, but is is the kind of let's say clinical benefit assessment so different to other jurisdictions? Maybe take the UK, maybe as an example, or the other extreme, maybe. France or Germany, where we have only the focus on the clinic benefit, meaning do they follow very strictly the evidence-based medicine guidelines? And maybe on top of that, um, are data outside of Asia also taken into account? Or is that maybe something at least heavily debated? And um, So there are a couple of parts to your question there. So, so the first thing is, so in terms of the perspective and the target population and the comparator and, and the benefits, all of that is is similar in a sense to to say nice. I think there is definitely a strong preference for domestic data, domestic inputs to be put into there. So having the clinical trial, the studies with Japanese populations in mind um, when developing that kind of health economic evidence is, is really important for the submission to C2H. Okay, very good. Now, I I guess we have especially spoken in the current environment more around um, drugs, right? Is there a different, let's say, approach or process when taking a small medical devices into consideration? Um, So there are a lot of the same agencies that are involved, but there are, I suppose, some procedural nuances in the way that the assessment is done. So same submission to the regulatory authorities to get a license for use. I think a side note on devices is there are different classifications of device, which drive a little bit of the evidence requirements and the process requirements as well. So class one um, is a a lower risk device and a class five is a, a higher risk device. So they're classified based on their intended use and their risk. And then that dictates a little bit of the process and the evidence burden then to take forward with each of the agencies. So it's the same um, committee, Chuikyu, who's responsible for price setting. And they use a very similar sort of formulaic approach to setting price. So there's the cost comparison method and the, the cost calculation method. Um, based on whether there's a similar um, device on the market or not. And then similarly to drugs, depending on um, whether they're selected by QEQ or not, uh, a subset of those can then also go forward to having a mandatory cost effectiveness analysis, which they need to submit to the C2H also. So same actors, but just um, some slight differences in terms of the classification of the devices and, and how they might be selected. Okay, got you, got you. So, and, and I assume the lower the risk class, the lower the evidence requirement, right? Yeah, exactly. So a, a class one device might include something like a face mask or a dressing mm-hmm. or a, a wipe. Um, and the evidence requirements for that is much lower than a class five device, which might be something um, where if the risk of failure would be quite high, so a, say a pacemaker mm-hmm. or something like that, where it could be life threatening in, in the case of failure. So, um, yeah, much higher evidence requirements and timeline is a bit longer as well for the, the higher risk mm-hmm. um, class, classified devices. Got you. Got you. 
moving a bit into pricing, and you have mentioned um, as well the discounts given the different cost-effectiveness ratios um, for the products, independent whether it's drugs or medical devices, which need to go through the cost-effectiveness analysis. Um, what are key drivers generally for prices so to get basically a product reimbursed for a given price in Japan? And I guess there might be differences again between drugs and medical devices, but I would guess even more so um, for products which have been assessed via cost effectiveness and the ones which were not assessed via cost effectiveness. Yeah, so the, the first sort of step in getting a reimbursed price in Japan through Chuikyu is this sort of form, fairly formulaic approach, a rule-based approach to getting a price set. So I mentioned the before, there's the comparative method and the cost calculation method. So in the comparative method, if there's a, a drug or a device um, with the same indication already listed, then that's taken as the starting point. And the price of the new medicine or device needs to then be equal to that as a starting point. But then there's the possibility to be awarded a premium in various circumstances. So there are several different premiums that you can apply for. The innovation premium is one. There are premiums called the marketability premium if you're an orphan drug or the child or the pediatric premium if uh, the product's indicated for children. Um, but of course, if if it's not innovative, then the price will be set compared to um, the price of the comparator. Then the, the other approach is the cost calculation method, um, or it's sometimes called the cost accounting method. And that situation applies if there isn't a comparable drug or there isn't a comparable device on the market. And in that scenario, then um, it's a combination of things like the manufacturing cost, uh, cost of goods, um, sales and taxes, and so on. And that's all summed up to calculate a price. And then on top of that, in the same way, there's the possibility to apply for a premium, for example, if the drug is innovative or if it's to treat a, a rare disease, for example. Um, and that's that first step that I talked about. And then there's the possibility of being selected for this cost-effectiveness analysis step depending on um predicted annual sales and so on um, and there's only around sort of 10 or so products or devices each year that have been put forward for that cost effectiveness analysis so it is only a, a subset that go through to that that second step okay that's very interesting only few ones are going through that cost effectiveness <laughs> Uh, let's say analysis, um, but it, maybe still going one step back here. I mean, it's quite interesting because you said a couple of different premiums. Are those add-on premiums? So, for example, if I would basically have an an innovative new product in the area of pediatrics, which is as well an orphan drug uh, area, could I then just add up those different premiums, or is it just you could basically take one of the paths, take that potential premium, and then is it more negotiation or that also quite clearly defined as with the discounts you mentioned beforehand, given the different thresholds on the cost effectiveness ratio? So this is, I suppose, more of the black box element mm -hmm. of the of the process. So you can apply for multiple. So the innovation premium, the usefulness premium, the markability premium, and each of those have a 
a predefined range of potential. So to give you an example, the marketability premium can be between 5 and 20% premium, uh, the usefulness premium between 5 and 60%. So they there is a fairly significant, I suppose, range of potential premium that could be awarded for, for each of the different categories of mm. premium. Okay, that's uh, that's very helpful. And um, I mean, the kind of general question, which probably do not does not only apply for Japan, but I mean, if I would like to launch an innovation into generics market, right? So comparable product or comparator, probably better said, products are available. Um, my product is clearly better, more efficacious, has a new mode of action, for example, and I could still apply all of those premiums, but. Would that not be very difficult then to get a really attractive price also in Japan or is then the system a bit more flexible? Do you know that? So the the baseline, so if you take sort of that example of a innovative, you, you say an innovative medicine, but there's already a comparator in the market. So it would be the comparative pricing method. So the baseline price would be set compared mm -hmm. to the product that was already on the market. Mm -hmm. You said, however, though, that it had either a, a, a better efficacy profile or a better safety profile, or maybe even uh, a new route of administration, maybe a new kind of formulation. And those things are rewarded through the premium um, process. So there is the potential still to negotiate and be awarded those those premiums if in fact you are superior than mm -hmm. than the comparator and i guess the whole kind of system also from a pricing perspective holds true for drugs and medical devices right yeah so the the methodologies are are essentially the same mm -hmm. there's the comparative method for drugs and then there's the comparative technical mm -hmm. method for devices and then the cost calculation method for drugs and the cost technical method but that essentially the principles of those two formulaic approaches are the same whether you're the drug a drug or a device and the potential for premium is negotiated in a in a very similar way they're just different categories within mm. the the agency Got you, got you. And um, I mean, as, as you're aware of, I think especially in Europe, we have also a lot of price referencing. Is anything like that also applied in Japan or is that basically out of the whole system? Yeah, so so Japan do have a, an external reference pricing element. And mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure exactly which um, markets are in the reference basket, but it is part of the, the pricing process. Got you. Okay, so that could potentially then maybe also help, especially when you have maybe something really innovative and might need to launch in a quite low cost slash generic market. That's quite interesting. Okay, I mean, you, you have said just in your intro that uh, I think you have also experience in a couple of other countries. So obviously we're always very interested uh, to, um, let's see, see similarities or key differences also to other systems. So, um, you know Japan quite a bit, I would say. Um, so to which of the countries you otherwise know would you say is Japan, let's say, the most similar? So if we take the C2H committee, so the, the cost effectiveness committee that we've been talking about today, well, that kind of cost effectiveness payer archetype, 
as you'll know, where they compare, you know, value or cost against improved outcomes is is quite common. So there are agencies like NICE, which we we mentioned earlier in our conversation. The Scottish Medicines Consortium is another CADAF in Canada and, and PBAC. So there are quite a few cost effectiveness archetypes and there are, I suppose, some methodological similarities, but then there's also differences. So NICE, as an example, they have their very well-publicized cost-effectiveness threshold of around twenty to 30,000 per quality. But the way that it's used is, is different than in Japan. So that's used to determine whether the product should be recommended for use at a given price. Whereas the Japanese system at the moment is designed for the purpose of price adjustment. So they're not serving as that initial gatekeeper to access like some of their counterparts might be. And then we also spoke about the slight uniqueness of this stepwise or tiered approach as well to applying price revisions, which as far as I know, I haven't seen in any other other markets. That's that's quite interesting. So, so what is happening if a company is not adjusting the price accordingly? So meaning you go through the cost effectiveness analysis, you get the results, and I don't know, let's say there's a request for a, I don't know, let's assume 60% of a discount, and the company would not do that, and there would not be a kind of um, agreement on a proper negotiation kind of mode. Would that still mean that the product is not available then on the Japanese market? Or what is then the kind of key difference? Because I agree, obviously, in, in, in the UK or also in Canada, right, it's more recommendation in order to reimburse it or not. But, I mean, if you cannot agree on a price, is that not the same kind of method in a way? So, the so first of all, the price adjustment rates. So there, there are fixed repricing rates which are attached to each of each of those thresholds. And you know, if anyone were to hop onto the internet, you can you can quite quickly pull up what those rates are. Um, but the they are mandatory. So um, so if depending on the the threshold or the ISA threshold, then the the repricing rate will be applied accordingly. Um, and nearly always a downward adjustment but there is the possibility for an upward adjustment as well because the the purpose of the process is to determine really if the price that was set initially was appropriate so the price could stay the same it could be reduced or it could be increased although in practical reality i think most of them have seen a a reduction in in price mm-hmm. so i think if you look at some of the earlier products to go through the process in actual fact the although we've talked about 90 percent discounts i think i mentioned earlier in in our discussion that the products that have gone through so far they've actually been much more modest the discounts have been sort of in the order of four or five percent for some of those first products i don't know if this podcast is product agnostic stefan so I, i don't know whether i should say which they are but yeah some of those early products um, have had fairly modest, modest yeah. accounts. Okay, okay. I mean, yeah, that's that's quite interesting. But I, I got it correct that then the product would be basically already available, meaning already reimbursed while the process is ongoing? Or is it rather the way as we see it in most of the, let's say, markets across the world that you first need to submit and then there's a negotiation just after that the product could be launched? So the product will be available. So the after that first price setting exercise with QEQ, 
Mm-hmm. That product is available. A hospital, a pharmacy can prescribe it and it will be reimbursed at the price that's set on that NHS drug price standard. In the interim, if they've been called upon to submit this cost effectiveness analysis, they will still be available on the market at that price. Mm-hmm. They'll go through the process. They're given, I think, um, nine months, a manufacturer once being called up to then develop their cost effectiveness analysis and submit it. And then the agency has another six months to review. So the total timeline then about 15 months where they're on the market before then there is the potential for this price um, revision. Got you, got you. That's that's quite interesting. Okay, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's it's a really fascinating kind of uh, let's say environment and process. I think some somehow let's say similar to some of the systems, but I think somehow maybe call it adjusted or maybe even a bit more more pragmatic. I, I don't know. But um, just towards the end of that episode, I mean, what is the key advantage? I would say out of Japan, would you have identified? you would potentially suggest to, for example, the UK NICE system. If, I mean, out of what I have just heard, right, I think, um, uh, you know, I could just imagine that maybe that kind of, um, let's see, link between the different thresholds and the direct kind of discounts. But then also, I think what you said more towards the end with the, uh, let's say, still possibility of negotiation, I think is a is a quite, maybe it's a, it's a smart way, right? Because the expectations are set, um, the kind of entrance in terms of negotiations are set, and then it's probably more to discuss some of the other aspects. We have as well set as a pro- probably a black box plus maybe as well the um, the involvement of the external reference prices. Uh, maybe that is a quite smart one. I, I would generally think. I mean, but uh, yeah, let's just see. Yeah, you're right, I suppose, because I think, I guess, nice draw that sort of one line in the sand, yeah. don't they? And this being sort of tiered or stepwise is yeah those thresholds is slightly different way of doing things so yeah, yeah. I, think, I think you're right yeah interesting no perfect very good Heather that was a really interesting kind of conversation I learned a lot I mean Japan was really not in my kind of let's say closer radar I haven't had really a lot of experience with the Japanese system so far I mean it just shows that I think also the let's say different reimbursement systems could and should probably learn from from each other because I think everybody's still applying the rules a bit in a different way and the processes. And yeah, maybe, and hopefully that will also be helpful to one or the other decision maker in the future. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Stefan. I, it was, uh, yeah, something new for me. So I enjoyed the the conversation with you. Um, and yeah, I hope, I hope I answered um, your questions so that your audience, you know, will be interesting for them, can share some of what I've I've learned from the projects that I've done in Japan. So hopefully it was useful. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. So very interesting to hear how the Japanese system basically really works. I mean, it has still that kind of split between the added benefit evaluation and in the second part, the health economic component, which is probably, I mean, as also um, has said, following countries and their systems like the UK, England, Scotland, but also Canada, for example, in Canada. I think the first part is still again on evidence-based medicine. And as expected, the Japanese authorities are also especially looking for data 
out of the, let's say, Asian hemisphere. But I think that's also what she said. They are not solely looking for that. So it could be maybe a kind of uncertainty which might be added in the whole kind of decision making. Then as a second point, especially for those kind of products, independent if it's a drug or a medical device, which are, let's say, above a given sales revenue threshold, they would need to go through a full cost effectiveness analysis. And very interesting, that's also what we quickly discussed, is that the Japanese authorities have already given mandatory discounts um, given different cost effectiveness thresholds a product might potentially then meet. Overall, it's still the question, as in all of the other markets around the world, how a product, how a new product slash innovation could really be um, launched into a generic low price market. Um, But at the end of the day, it's also still a bit of the question, and that's maybe then still the leeway towards a good negotiation is the kind of black box between the authorities and the companies. And that is also where those kind of given um, thresholds, given mandatory discounts, given kind of information which has have as well to be shared is maybe as well the kind of driver towards hopefully then an agreement between the two parties. At the end of the day, I personally learned quite a lot. I think um, what I've heard in the past that Japan is really, really very difficult to uh, get into. That's not so different to some of the other markets. Speak to some of the companies and think about Canada, England, and a couple of other com- uh, countries as well. But I think some of those rules which Japan is currently now applying is maybe also a bit more pragmatic. So maybe they've also learned from different systems. And hence, I would also hope that maybe some of the other markets also look uh, back to Japan and see how the current kind of environments and processes might potentially work once more um, products have gone through. That was an episode of MAP, the market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. MAP is available every second week with a new episode, so watch out. And in case you might have questions, contact me directly and or visit our website on www.marketaccess-pricingstrategy.de.